Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Well, good morning. If you would join me in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, it's where we'll spend the bulk of our time. Uh, though I hope that you are able to take notes. Uh, and there's a whole lot of study fodder uh, for this week as you, as you pro- uh, process through what the Lord is, uh, is teaching all of us to be able to share together, whether it's in a discipleship group or whether it's in one of our life groups or Bible studies. It's very important for us to hear what God says to one of us so that we can convey that uh, to one another. You know, God teaches us through one another, uh, not just through a, a single personality. And so it's important to be able to share those things. And it's also important to understand that, that discipleship or being like Jesus, you know, uh, I want to make a distinction between being good to being godly, from being godly to being a disciple, to being a disciple that makes disciples. And so when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's really calling us to be a disciple maker, not just a disciple and certainly not just a better version of ourselves. And so if we look at church as a tool that just makes me a better person or makes us a better person or a more informed person, I'm afraid we're missing the, the primary calling that God has put upon our lives. And we've turned Christianity and togetherness into something that wasn't intended to be. Which is one of the reasons that I think when the world thinks of the church, it has some, such a distorted view of that. Is because we have actually distorted that view. Uh, so I hope that you will consider those things. And, and, and to launch today, uh, life really is one long story. Uh, for some, it's longer than others. But when I say even life, I'm not talking about your life. I'm talking about the history of life itself is one long story. It is not billions of combined stories into one story. The problem is, in that one story, we keep trying to become the central character uh, of that story. And we can't help it. It's natural for us to do that. So when I think about my life, I am the central character of the story. So I think about my life from my perspective, my struggles, my victories, my feelings, my desires, my ambition. All of those things are from only my perspective. And the bad thing is, is that's not what God called us to think or be like. Life, your life is not about you. Your life is about Him. Your story is His story, which is why we call it History, right? No, that's pretty, that's bad. But. History is his story. So is the future, by the way. And so when you think about, as you hide your life in Christ, you become less and less central to the story. And he becomes more and more central to the story, which John the Baptist taught us 2,000 years ago when he said, he must increase and I must decrease. So, yes, we live, we hope, we dream, we anticipate, and we recognize desperation from time to time. And when we do recognize desperation or our sense of helplessness, we do something. It's ingrained in us. We pray. But if we see ourselves as the central character of the story, when we pray, who is our prayer about? Us. And you won't find that in Scripture. Believe it or not, been perusing through Scripture from front to back, and that's not the model that we see anywhere. So, in your notes or in your Bible, at the front of it and at the back of it, you need to write this down. You or I am not the central character of this story. I even think about the songs that we sing to worship the Lord, where we are the central characters of the story, of the song. It's not your story, it's his story. And when you begin to think about life from it being his story, it begins to change your perspective. And you start to move to his source rather than your helplessness. So every story, 
Every storyline that we can possibly be a part of and intersect revolves around Him. He is the one that is constantly at work. Every circumstance, every situation, every issue, the common denominator of all of those things is Him and His work. This is why the word all can be used so often in Scripture when Paul says all things work together for good. How could all things work together for good if all things were under His sovereignty and under His purpose and will? All things. So we, I want you to write these down. We were created, called to do only two things. Number one, are you ready? Everybody writing? It's very important. Now, these are the two things we're called to do. Number one, glorify God. Number two, anybody want to guess? Enjoy God. These two things, we are to glorify God and we are called to enjoy God. Now, the important part about that is we can do neither apart from Him. That's part of the carnal nature. We can't accomplish e either one of our callings apart from His initiation. We are born apart from Him, and life then is all about getting back to Him. And so I'm called to glorify God and to enjoy God. And so as a part of God's story, He gives me circumstances, issues, tools, abilities. He gives me all sorts of pathways that I might intersect through His story to be able to get back to a point where number one, I can glorify Him, and number two, that by glorifying Him, I can learn to enjoy Him. You can glorify Him and not enjoy Him. You can't enjoy Him and not glorify Him. So that's why glorifying Him must come first, and it does on almost every page of Scripture. We are called to glorify Him because when you learn to glorify Him, you learn Him. And when you learn Him, you will enjoy Him. So these two things, glorifying God and enjoying God, do not always coincide in this life. But in the end, they must be the same. Ephesians chapter 1, I want to begin reading in verse 15. And if you don't notice this in English, some of your translations may may uh, uh, use a little bit of uh, uh, artistic license. I'm not sure what all translations are represented here today. But the original Greek, this is one sentence. It's the longest sentence in Scripture. It's huge. We'll begin reading in verse 1. I mean verse 15, sorry. For this reason... And he's, call, he's talking, the reason is between verses 3 and 14. I, I, I cannot believe that I'm in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and not preaching on it. It's my favorite passage, uh, one of my favorite passages. I love the book of Ephesians. But he's talking about what, why God created us, why God called us, what our ultimate purpose uh, and the purpose of his will is. But for this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my what? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So here's what he is praying. He is praying that God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revel and the revelation of what? No, the knowledge of Him, that we may know Him better. This is the prayer, that we may know Him better. How? Verse 18 tells us, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the work of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at the right hand of the heavenly place in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above all, Every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put 
things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, a very quick comparison of this prayer from Ephesians chapter 1 with those that Paul speaks to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1 and then also to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 1 and then later in Ephesians chapter 3, you'll see it again, reveals how Paul customarily prayed for those that he loved. Now he's not praying for strangers, he's praying for people that he loves. And the grammatical heart of Paul's long-sentence prayer here is an incredible insight into the greatness and the importance of prayer. In verse 17, he says, I keep, or I do not see, so I keep asking that you may know Him better. That's the prayer. It's the prayer to the Ephesians. It's the prayer to the Philippians. It's the prayer to the Colossians. It's the prayer to the church at Thessalonica. Over and over and over. It's that you may know Him better. I I do not cease to ask God that you may know Him better. It's the whole point of prayer. It's remarkable that in all of His writings and all of the circumstances that are in in this church... Paul doesn't pray for better Bible teachers. He doesn't pray for wisdom of the leadership. He doesn't even pray for the unity of the the fellowship. He prays that they would know Him better because if they know Him better, all those things take care of themselves. Circumstances aren't important anymore if you know Jesus. Not about Jesus. If you bring Jesus into the moment, the moment matters less to you. It becomes more about this is Jesus' moment, not mine. I want you to think, in all of Paul's prayers for his friends, he never appeals for a changed circumstance. Even when Timothy said, my stomach hurts, Paul said, take some medicine. I mean, you would think that Paul would say, well, I'll, I'll pray about that. Paul doesn't appeal for changes in their circumstance. Listen, if Paul had established this church and we're going through persecution and, and death by disease and our families are being torn apart and we're being shipped all over the world because of our faith, if these things are happening, it'd be great to know that Paul would be praying that we'd... Not have to deal with all those difficulties. Paul never prays for a better emperor. Paul never prays that they be smarter. He never prays for protection from marauding armies. He never even prays that they'll be able to find bread for their next meal. To every church, he prays that they would know Jesus Christ better. Because if you know Him better, you'll be able to enjoy Him better. And and your focus won't be on your circumstance. Paul explains, how how do we get there? And listen, I know the hardest thing in your Christian life is going to be this. And some of you already have checked out. I get it. It's because it's learned behavior. The hardest part of your Christian life will be learning that you are not the central character. It's the hardest thing. It's because this is where we know that. Flesh already knows it loses. It's already been taught that. The, the Spirit already knows that it wins. But right here is where we have such... That's why he says that we would know Him better. Not that the truth would be a reality or how we would feel, but know the experience, the gnosis, that we would know Him better. How are we going to do that? Well, verse 18 tells us how. That the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. That we would know God better. How do we do that? By having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Now this is interesting. Paul talks about the death of the old man, the security of the new man. But we, and I, I I don't know how I want you to write this down. Because the rest of the sermon is about me saying this a thousand different ways. So just pick one of them and write it down. Your life circumstances is God's tool... So that you can learn to know Him better. 
Everything that happens to you is His intersection of His story into yours to teach you to look for Him in the moment. And once you pick up a sense of Him, what is God doing? I'm just, like, a, like a hound dog. Our job is to, to sense what He is doing and where is He at in the moment. And we just need to pick up on the scent and run with it. Because the hardest thing is, is from one moment to the next, we forget that we're not the central character and we become that again pretty quickly. Circumstances are what God uses to do that. God uses circumstances to enlighten us to Christ, to know Him better, or to enlighten us to ourselves sometimes. And that's so painful is when the circumstances not only reveal who God is, the circumstances reveal who I am. And God uses both of those to remind us of who He is. Does God change circumstances? Sure. God does change circumstances. We see that often in Scripture. Sometimes He does that. But when our hearts are already enlightened to Him, I want you to go through Scripture. This is homework. Read the Bible. Let's stand for prayer. <laughs> no, it might be a little bit more complicated than that. But I want you to go from book of Genesis all the way through. And I want you to recognize when God intervenes in circumstances. When He changes circumstances, He does it for people who have already caught a scent of what He is doing. I think of Hannah. Hannah was the barren second wife who was ridiculed by the multiple childbearing first wife. And uh, she was mocked and mocked and mocked and she prayed. She got to a place of complete desperation. And what do we find her doing in desperation? She's praying. And you know what she prays? God, please, I'll give him right back. I'll give him to you. Boom, there he was. Her heart's eyes was enlightened. She decided to give God what already belonged to God and she gave birth to a son, Samuel, immediately gave him over to the priest. The priest raised him, best prophet, the best judge that perhaps Israel ever had. To be able to speak with wisdom every time he was able to sense the presence of God in the room to redirect Israel back to God's story, not their own. I think of at the very beginning of the Christian faith in Israel, the, the Hebrew governor, Agrippa. You remember he arrested Peter, put him in prison. We've talked about that a little bit. This is in Acts chapter 12. It says that while Peter was kept in prison, the church was earnestly, anybody want to guess? The earnestly praying to God for him. He was released. But the church was strengthened through that. It wasn't for Peter's good because Peter's going to eventually lose his life for his faith. This wasn't to give Peter comfort. This was to strengthen the church and ultimately the testimony of who God is. The Assyrian king Sennacherib laid siege to Jerusalem. Hezekiah told his people to keep their faith. Listen, this is in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 20. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand. And listen, this is a very important part of prayer. Your prayer should always include, so that. Now, our prayers would say, deliver us from His hand. We're the central character. Bail us out. We're the central character. So that all the kingdom, kingdoms on earth may know that you alone are God. It's a testimony to who He is. Hearts are enlightened. Prayers commence. That night, the Lord killed 85,000 Assyrians while Israel was asleep. Moses, who James says was a friend of God, talked to God regularly, but you remember what he said in Exodus 33, 18. He said, show me your glory. You remember? And the Lord said, no, 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 you can't, you can't see me. But I tell you what, I'll let you see my, the backside and the shadow of me, and he put him in the cleft of the rock, Exodus 33. And as he, after he passed, he moved his hand. So, and Moses was able to just, just see the shadow parts. 
And when he came off the mountain, people couldn't even look at Moses. His face was radiating so brightly he had to put a veil over his face so people could even see him. But notice, this is, this is an incredible request. But what was the request? That I may see more of you. He's praying. His faith isn't failing. He just wants more. So often we pray when our faith fails. How much better would it be to be able to see Jesus in the room so that we don't have to resort to praying only when our faith is failing? Hezekiah became deathly ill and the prophet Isaiah came to him with a message and here's the message from God. Hezekiah, you're, you're a dead man. You're dying. Hezekiah said, Oh, remember my faithfulness, O Lord, and let me live. Right? Did God give Hezekiah more time? Yes, 15 more years. Miserable years. Miserable. Why? Hezekiah was actually calling upon the Lord based on his own faithfulness. We would say, well, yeah, God, but God still changes circumstances. How much better would it have been for Hezekiah and Israel had that been the death of Hezekiah? Well, if you don't know the story, go back and read in 2 Kings chapter 20. Nebuchadnezzar had a confusing dream. And he said, I want all the wise men to come and tell me the dream. And you remember, Daniel and his three friends prayed that we not be killed with all of the other wise men. In other words, it wasn't a selfish prayer. It was a, we don't want our testimony linked in with the testimonies of all of those other wise men. But Lord, give us an answer for your glory. And God intervenes in circumstances when our eyes are enlightened to Him. You think of Elisha. Elisha is there walking and he's got these prophetic abilities and seems like he can talk to the Lord just as a man talks to another man. But he's, uh, uh, he, he's, he's thwarting the plans of this, this enemy king. So the king sent a battalion to surround the city where Elisha was and, and, and was about to launch the attack. But uh, Elisha's servant was getting super panicky. Right? I mean, all you see is... Hundreds and hundreds of warriors surrounding where you are, and they are sharpening their axes and their swords, and, and every sword has your name on it. And he knows it. He gets nervous. And you remember what Elisha prayed? Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Elisha didn't need to see it because the heart, the eyes of his heart had already been enlightened. He was able to take previous experiences and circumstances and he was able to see what God was doing based upon his benchmarks, based upon his experiences. He wasn't so quick to throw away everything that had ever happened. He was learning from one moment to the next moment how to see God in the room. And when he couldn't see God, he was able to trust in a completely different fashion. But my servant can't see, so Lord, open his eyes. And his eyes were open and he saw all of the angelic army of God surrounding even the enemies. And he was like, what was I so worried about? Right? God didn't change the circumstances. I also think that if I were able to pray, God opened his eyes so he could see the armies. Here's what I would pray. Lord, will you just let all those men just drop dead real quick? Lord, protect me. Lord, keep me safe. Lord, give me wisdom. Let me see my way out. I want to live tomorrow. There's still things I want to accomplish, things I want to do. I got some things I still want to prove. This isn't how Elisha prayed. Elisha prays, Lord, let open his eyes so that he can see. This is going to be a war. We're going to experience the issue because the issue themselves actually gives us eyes to be able to see what God is doing in the moments. Jesus was on the cross. You ever think about this? You think about the thief on the cross beside Jesus. And, and, uh, and you remember what he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom? You remember that? He's asking for the forgiveness of his sin. Remember me when you come into your kingdom? What does Jesus say? Whew. 
today you will be with me in paradise, right? It's a good, it's a good prayer. But I want you to remember, this isn't a self, selfish prayer. This is a necessary prayer. Because he finally saw God in the room. He finally saw what Jesus was doing. A selfish prayer would have said, well, if you're not going to take yourself off the cross, I trust that you are the Son of God. Get me off the cross. But he doesn't pray selfishly. He prays selflessly. He prays eternally. Even when Jesus is in the garden, he said, not my will, but yours be done. So to have the eyes of the heart enlightened with a particular truth means that it has to penetrate and grip us so deeply that it changes us as a whole person. In other words, so that we may know that God is holy and that we may, when our heart's eyes are enlightened to that truth, we not only understand it in our brains, we also understand it in our emotions as well. And prayer does that. Prayer is God's way of giving us a circumstance where we recognize who God is here and it moves from there into feeling who God is whereas that's where we learn to trust who God is. And working it out, learning from Him. Listen, I want you to think about your own prayer life. Most of our prayer lives, we are the central character. Most of our prayer life is is about asking God to do things for us. But if you look at Scripture, you'll see the prayers that were answered is where we were surrendering to do what God asks of us. It's completely reversed. As we learn Him and walk in Him, we avoid attitudes and behaviors that would displease or dishonor Him. And all that does is sets us up to reveal more joy and more glory. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, I mentioned it a minute ago, but Paul says he wants the Spirit to give them strength. In in the ESV, it says the strength to comprehend. We would say, God, give me the strength to win. Give me the strength to persevere. Give me the strength to whatever it might be. But what Paul prayed is they would have the strength to comprehend, to understand, the power to grasp. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you see what the prayer is? Is that you would have the power to take hold of the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's where we win or lose. And perspective change and reminders of God's presence and activity is a result of that. Perspective change and reminders of God's presence. All Christians know about these benefits in their minds, but the prayer, prayer is something far beyond that. It's to have a more vivid sense of the reality of God's presence and a shared life with Him. Paul is able to see this fuller knowledge of God as a more critical thing to receive than a change of circumstances. Boy, and if there's anything that I want you to hear this morning, it's this, is that The critical thing about our life is to lay hold of the fullness of Christ, not change circumstances. Because God is going to use the circumstances to reveal more of the fullness of Christ to us. We spend most of our prayers trying to get out of circumstances and changing circumstances. And it's the very tool that God uses. And without this powerful sense of God's reality, good circumstances, when things go your way, leads us to overconfidence in ourselves and spiritual indifference. Who needs God? Why would we want God? God just kind of gets in the way. In this way, at least I can just tack God onto my life. And yes, I'm a Christian. Check. Am I going to heaven? Check. But I've got this life to live. I'm, so, I'm such an important person. I've got to leave a legacy. Listen, there is a great movement now of leaving a legacy. But the legacy that we should be leaving is the legacy of Jesus Christ. Not our own. We say, boy, you know, a generation or two from now, they won't even know your name. Who cares? I'm a nobody. I don't care if anybody knows my name. Except I really do. When I think about my perspective. 
But when I think about him, man, everything I've ever accomplished is just refuse. It's just garbage in comparison to the fullness of Christ. So, who needs God? Our hearts would, would say, our matters seem to be so in hand. Everything I've ever worked for, I'm accomplishing. Every now and then there's a setback, but man, I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and I will, I will get there. I'm just going to persevere. Bad circumstances work exactly the opposite. Bad circumstances lead to discouragement and despair because the love of God isn't pervading the life of the believer. So then we are left with to infer that good or bad, we begin to define those by our circumstances. What is good is when I get my way. What is bad is when I don't. It's something to overcome. So then circumstances are determined if they're godly or not by how I feel about them. But bad circumstances are from God. Good circumstances are from God. Everything is about God. And He is fashioning us to look like Jesus Christ. Therefore, knowing God better is what we must have above everything if we're to live in every circumstance. So, so Paul's primary concern then is for their public and their private prayer life. So this is where we win. This is where life completely changes is in prayer. If, if circumstances are not the goal of my life, if my feelings are not the goal of my life, if my life is not the goal of my life, then it's His glory. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That then is life. Right? And if that is true, that cannot happen apart from prayer. I, I cannot have the reality of the fullness of Christ. I can't have the power to grasp. I can't have my heart's eyes enlightened. Unless I'm in prayer. That's when, that's when the marinating happens. That's when the perspective shifts. This is why I believe the fundamental reason or the foundational reason why prayer is so difficult for us is we don't know its purpose. We don't understand it. We pray. We're talking about circumstances and sicknesses and we're talking about finances and we're talking about relationships and we're talking about... Everything that would work itself out if we could see Jesus from here. He doesn't. So, so prayer, this is something that even in my notes I highlighted and underlined. Paul does not see prayer as merely a way to get things from God, but it's a way to get more of God. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 7 says, There's none who takes hold of God. In ancient ways, when a, when a, a wise man or a venerable man would, would walk in and you wanted something from someone who has something, you, you would literally take hold of their cloak while you talked to them. It was a way of giving them honor and showing your own humility. Today, if you take a hold of somebody's cloak, you're trying to have control over them. But that wasn't the way that it was in the ancient days. So for us, it would be in modern times much like a, an embrace, a hug. And so you would hug and embrace the ones that you were honoring. And the more we appreciate someone or more familiar with them, the more or the longer we hug. The closer relationally that we are with someone, the deeper the hug. And the, the lack of taking hold of Him in prayer, of, of learning more of Him and spending time with Him and becoming more like Him and honoring Him insinuates that we don't want God. We want God's stuff. I want your blessing. I want your wisdom. I want your power. I want your overcoming. I even want the resurrection. But I don't want you. You get in my way. You hold me back. 
There's no telling what God would ask me to do. I know what I want to do. And whenever I'm not getting my way, Lord, fix this. Prayer is telling God our circumstance and asking for His wisdom in giving Him the best credit or control over them, not changing them. Lord, let me... I, here's, here's the situation as I see it, Lord. Here's the situation as I see it. I know you're at work. I know that this is a part of your plan. But I can't see you from here. I don't, and I'm not saying that we are praying to be prophetic as in we are going to know how it's going to work out. But in this moment, Lord, I need to be able to take hold of you. I just want to wrap my arms around you and give you honor and give you glory. Lord, help me to be able to, however this works out, to be able to see you and to give you credit for it. I want my life not to be a life of overcoming. I want my life to be such so that when the world sees me, they have watched Jesus surrender to the authority of the Father. That's the greatest testimony a person can have. Not, wow, I should be a Christian. They get all they ever want. But wow, what's up with these Christians who are able to overcome without getting their way? It's not of this world. We spend so much time praying for sick people when we know good and well that everybody dies. We know good and well Jesus walked by sick people all the time and didn't heal them. You would think that Jesus would just say, you know what, sickness, no more. Peace be still. But he doesn't. Why? Because sick circumstances are some of the ways that God uses to bring people to himself and to fashion them after himself. But were there safe prayers for us? We pray because we love people, not because we love Him. Two things happen in prayer. And I want you to, I want you to pay attention to both of these because they, they happen at the same time, sometimes. I also think that one of these causes a blockage in prayer most of the time. Two things happen. Number one, you are revealed to you. And that's very important. When you open up the Word of God... God speaks back to you through His Word. The presence of Jesus Christ is speaking into your life. You're able to see yourself from a completely different perspective when you hear Him declare. Most people don't like that. So in prayer, you are revealed to you. And you have to pray through that. And that's hard. Because when that happens, you have to come to terms with, I am a sinner. You have to come to terms with helplessness. You have to come to terms with brokenness, selflessness. Most people stop there. You want to know why prayers bounce off the ceiling? Because we don't pray through it. We just stop right there. We don't like what we're hearing because what we're hearing is our self coming back to us. We've, we've, we don't know the point of prayer and we're just praying to ourselves. quite honestly. It would make sense that if you're going to pray to yourself, you'll be the one that hears it you got to pray through that. You see who you are. You know who you are. Your sinfulness, your selfishness is revealed to you. And the more that you're able to spend time there, the quicker you're able to get breakthroughs. When you get breakthroughs, you say, oh, just cut to the heart. I realize I'm the problem, not my circumstance. One of the first things that we experience when we're praying to ourselves is we come face to face with emptiness. And sometimes we don't recognize the emptiness as such until we start to try to pray. You ever prayed and just thought, I don't even know how to pray. How many of you have been a Christian very long and thought to yourself, I don't, I don't even know how to pray? Anybody? Yeah, most, most Christians I know. I don't, I don't even know. This is a sense of emptiness. I don't even know. I'm just empty. I don't have anything to give. Sometimes we experience that in relationships, but oftentimes we experience that in our relationship with the Lord, just a, an emptiness. So we finally begin to feel lonely and hungry, but it, it's a terrible first step, but it's a very important first step because you can't 
even though it's disorienting, you can't go to any other steps until you experience that. When your prayer life finally begins to flourish, you man start seeing things completely different. You may, though, then move from that breakthrough from selfishness and emptiness, and then you start feeling sorry for yourself. Always happens to me, Lord. Everybody else gets what they want. And then we start justifying. We start bargaining with God, telling Him why we deserve whatever it is that we're praying for. Start hearing those words coming back. As we hear them coming back, we start feeling resentful and angry to Him because everybody else is His favorite. I never get what I want. Some of you may be there right now. And that disorients us. But listen, when you start praying that and you start... I'm convinced that when the Holy Spirit dwells in us and we begin to hear that back, it makes us as sick as it makes God. But if you don't take some time to get there, if you're just praying real quick one-sided prayers, they're not going to affect much. But if you will sit there and you will actually hear your prayers coming back, if you can stay awake long enough to hear your prayers coming back, they'll make you sick and they'll reorient you. And you'll come to yourself and you'll say, what in the world am I? The Spirit reorients us to that. Sometimes that leads to anxiety when you realize that you are in the throne room. I don't know about you. This is where I spend most of my time in anxiety. Scared to death that I'm going to mess it up. During prayer, you come to yourself and you start... I Listen... and. I, I don't mean this to sound ugly. God gives grace and God gives strength and all of that. There's no doubt about any of those promises from Scripture. But there are times, and I know you feel it too, but there are times when I just feel, whether it's you know from, from counseling other people or dealing with sin from other people or just in my own, my own weight of living within family and all of those sorts of things and the busyness and distractions. I tell people all the time, whatever I say yes to, I can say yes because I said no to something else because there's always something else. And it gets so heavy sometimes. And when you, when you, when you pour your life into people, then they don't pay attention and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and you just go... You feel so anxious. And then it's just so I go to the Lord in prayer and I start praying first like the psalmist and get them, Lord. And then all of a sudden that anxiety that I feel, the, 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 the regret or the, the, the heaviness of my own stuff. I mean, my own selfishness. It's just like the Lord's like, well, they don't belong to you. So I don't know why you're so burdened about that. This situation isn't yours. Their relationship isn't yours. Your, your responsibility isn't to provide for them. da 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 and he starts pointing out all of these things. And I'm like, yeah, why am I so stinking anxious? I've been anxious for days and days and days because I needed to get reoriented and I needed to hear some of this garbage bouncing back off the ceiling so the Holy Spirit would reorient me. Sometimes we're selfish and we need to reorient. Sometimes we feel sorry for ourselves. And we need to reorient. Sometimes we're anxious and depressed and we need to reorient ourselves. And prayer is where that happens. And by the way, it doesn't happen apart from prayer. It doesn't happen apart from prayer. What will happen is, though, you will spend so much time not praying through. Most people that I know live here. You will spend most of your prayer time not praying through, not hearing back, not getting relief. And you'll go from prayer to prayer to prayer. You will not pay attention about the fullness of Christ. You will not be taking hold of Him. You will not be uh, intimately woven in with His pur- the purpose of His will. And your, your hearts will be hardened, 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 hardened. And you won't realize how far away you've gotten from His presence. You pray? Yep, I pray. Lord, give me my will. We pray some of the most selfish things and we pat ourselves on the back and talk about our prayer life but our hearts are so hardened to the presence of Jesus Christ we pray we don't look like him we don't act like him our hearts are not becoming more and more like him and then out of nowhere there's a season of dryness Uh, where did he go 
we were having such a good time together. I was actually starting to be kind of equal with him. You know, I felt like I could just walk into his throne room anytime I wanted to and just immediately have a conversation. Where did he go? I don't feel like it's just dry season. Anybody ever had a dry season in your prayer life? You know, that's not a, that's not a step backward. That's a recalibration. God is about to open up another realm of relationship. That's not a where did he go. That's a pursue me. We're going to go to another step. Don't give up when you're dry. Pray through when you're selfish. Pray through when you feel sorry for yourself. Pray through when you're anxious. And pray through when you're dry. And know this, he is always in the room. And he's always at work. Quit praying about your circumstances every prayer. And try your best to focus on Christ in the room. What is God doing? What does God want from me? And I'm telling you, when you are able to pray through the breakthrough, you will begin to see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. And there is only one thing to say when you see him in every circumstance of your life. When you see the magnitude of Jesus Christ is to say this, Here I am, send me. And at the end of every season of prayer, it's a disciple that makes a disciple. It's a my story. Let me tell you what God is doing in my life, not let me tell you what's up in my life. Let me, let me catch you up to my life. No, no, no. Let me tell you how good God is and how I see God work. You see, when you look at Scripture from, well, primarily from Abraham all the way through, every time God reorients, look at it. It's on every page. It's prayer, 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 prayer. When they were praying, prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Even when you get to Job, which is the most frustrating book because you see the hero of the story completely lose everything. And it's about learning where God is in the room and it's the processes of prayer, of communion with God, talking to Him and learning God's character and nature and God speaks back. And it's, it's really about Job learning who God is and taking hold of those truths and not focusing on his circumstances. And when you get to the very end... All three of his friends have been telling him to focus on his circumstance. Focus on your circumstance. You've done something and God's... And what does God say at the very end? I'll forgive your three friends if you pray for them. If you were to look at Job and not have the story, you would say, well, that guy is messed up. If he, he should learn how to pray better. I know we would. We would say Job didn't know how to pray because... There's a better way than that. Job didn't pray on his circumstances. Pray said, Job said, hmm, you know, I mean, I was naked when I was born. I guess I'll be naked when I die. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's the greatest prayer. Whatever you're going through, whatever difficulty, whatever the question is, whatever the setback in your personal life may be, blessed be the name of the Lord. That I may see Him, that I may know Him, that the my eyes of my heart may be enlightened. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Because I know that all things work together, not for my good, but for your good, according to your will. And that's where we learn Him. Prayer is so great that everywhere we look in the Bible, there it is. Everywhere you look. Even, even Jesus, when he's turning over tables at the temple, say, well, it's about worship. No, Jesus said, why? Why does he do this? Because you've turned the house of prayer the, the, the place where people's lives are changed, recalibrated, reoriented, you've turned it into a den of thieves. 
He taught them when he was busy that prayer was more important than busyness. Prayer is more important than healing. Prayer is more important than miracles. Prayer is more important than teaching. Prayer is more important than anything because nothing is accomplished apart from prayer. That's where you see Jesus. That's where he experienced the real him, not the him here or the him here. You experience the real him. Prayer is everywhere because that's where God is. In every circumstance. Thank God we have him to depend on and think through and to be like. So that we can point others to the same. God allows circumstances in your life not so that you can have your best life. But so that you can point to his best life. So when it comes to circumstances and situations and things of these these natures, we can learn a lot from the early church and even Jesus Christ himself. Tell your situations and circumstances to God because in that, he might give you his map through it. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Here I am, Lord. Use me to accomplish that. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that today as we disassemble it and put it in a different perspective for us at least all in the same uh, theme that we're able to see something that we've not been able to see before Lord sometimes our prayer life is so one sided and we pray and we ask we ask and we ask and we ask so that we can get what we want And and if we don't get what we want we just ask harder So, Lord, I pray that as we process what it means to to pray from your perspective, to pray for your presence and the fullness of your presence, I pray, Lord, you would teach us to be patiently waiting to, to pray through until whatever it is that is your will would be clear to us and that we would be able to say yes because we're saying yes to Jesus. Because it's his story. It's not ours. We just get to be tools to glorify Him and by glorify Him, enjoy Him. But Lord, we are weak. So teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.